0: Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Hello,
1: what's going on, everybody? Uh, This is episode 252. We're recording this live on July 21st, 2022. This is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined today by Mr. Barry Kirby. Hello there. Okay, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, apparently, I'm sitting across the way from Obi-Wan Kenobi. This week on the show, we're going to be talking about how smart textiles can sense how their users are moving. We're also answering some questions from the community about red flags and job descriptions, which part of Human Factors and UX we're bad at, and difficulties recruiting candidates for user interviews. But first, hey, next week, everybody, we're going to be off. Uh, we got some um, stuff that are is going on. Barry's going on vacation. I'm just taking a break. Yeah. But... But it's just a, a break from our normal programming. We are still going to have something great for you in its place. I had the chance to sit down with Joe Keebler, who's the chair of the International Symposium on Human Factors and Ergonomics in Healthcare, to talk about the conference this year. Um, but we switched up our normal conference coverage to, a little bit to include some great discussion about the healthcare, healthcare field as a whole uh, and where we could go in the future. And, man, I think we got way out there at one point robot surgeons on long distance space flight was brought up. So, I mean, like that's, that's how far out there we kind of got. Um, but yeah, it's a great discussion. And um, it, I, I'm really looking forward to that hitting the airwaves. Uh, we really like Joe. He's been on the show before. I've funny enough. I've never actually talked to him on the show. I've only, <laughs> he's been on the show, but it was when Elise went out as a, our field correspondent. Um, and uh, you know, I think, we only talked one other time before this. Anyway, so we'll be back, though, with our regular episodes on August 4th. Uh, so check your feeds for that uh, interview. It'll Be great. Barry, what's going on with 1202? So 1202, eventually we
2: got the um, the episode up because I had a slight technical inability to actually upload the audio, which does is, is, is a problem with podcasting. But once I uploaded the audio um, about 10 minutes late, then we got the show where we I talked to the REF sa- Safety Center. Uh, so the Royal Air Force over here in the UK, um, they have a safety centre. And we, we spoke about just culture, which is, um, it's not a new thing, but it's certainly becoming more popular about um, how organisations deal with um, blame and how people feel about reporting. So the the RAF has been going through this a, cultural evolution you could say over for over around a, a decade or so and so we've got an insight on on what they've been doing around that and how they've done that but also how they treat and deal with human factors um and human factors training as a whole and, and how it positively affected the organization so that's live now and go and have a go and have a listen and, and let us know what you think
1: yes but you're all here for the news so let's get into it <laughs> That's right. This is the part of the show all about human factors news. Barry Kirby, what's the story this week?
2: The story this week is smart textiles sense how their users are moving. So MIT researchers have produced smart textiles that snugly conform to the body so they can sense the wearer's posture and motions. Through the use of these smart shoes and a compression mat, machine learning algorithms can measure and interpret data from pressure sensors in real time. By incorporating a special type of plastic yarn and using heat to slightly melt it, the researchers were able to greatly improve the precision of, of pressure sensors woven into the multi-layered knit textiles, which they called 3D knits. The multi-layered knit textile is composed of two layers of conductive yarn knit, uh, yarn knit sandwiched around a piezoresistive knit, which changes its resistance when squeezed. A machine is used to stitch this functional yarn through the textile in horizontal and vertical rows, Where the functional fibers intersect, they create a pressure sensor. The pressure sensor data is then displayed as a heat map. Those images are fed to a machine learning model, which is then trained to detect the posture, pose, or motion of the user based on the heat map image. The machine learning system was then able to predict motions and yoga poses performed by individual individual standing on the smart textile mat without 99% accuracy. Now that the researchers have demonstrated the success of their fabrication technique, they plan to refine the circuit and machine learning model. So, Nick, what are your thoughts on our socks being smarter than we are?
1: The this is one of those stories where I looked at it and went, Yeah, we have plenty to talk about. And then it was chosen, and I go, What are we going to talk about? Um, because in some ways, it is very simple. We've they've created socks that sense the create the 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 wearer's intent to move. And That seems like a very simple thing, but then when you start thinking about the applications and where this could potentially play in, it becomes a lot more interesting. And that was kind of my thought process over the course of the day was, uh, or, or over the course of the week, as I selected this story as a potential thing, throw it in there, see what comes back. It came back, and then I was like, but what? And then we explored it a little bit now we're going to explore it now so i don't know i don't know how i feel about this barry i need i need to talk to you today about how i feel about this story how do you feel about this
2: well i'm always here to to talk about your feelings nick and and how you feel about stories so it's a good job i'm here so for me and they do acknowledge it in the in the article as well this is not new you know this is stuff that i mean i've been going to you know I've, i've always had an interest in wearable technologies and this is truly wearable technology. And I remember going to probably one of the first conferences on this topic around 20 years ago when they were talking about, um, true, like sort of wearables, but we were looking at fabrics with lights on them. So it was fashion based technology. I think in many ways it was like, how can you, you know, there was some interesting things like having a heat map on your body. So as you got hotter, then the light, then the LEDs went from sort of green to red in a, in a sort of a network all of your body, which in theory was in was was a good idea, but then you got to the practicalities of it, and yeah, not so good. But, you know, all these sort of sensors. But what I think they've done here is really interesting, because as it's been in development over all these years, the sensors have always been a clunky add-on. The sensor has always been something uh, new in that respect. So, for this, for them to have actually truly integrated in, into it, it's not so much I think about what they've done with the socks and what they've done with yoga, but actually what potential is, is this now going to unleash? Um, what is it, what are the future applications of this that it that it could be? Cause we'll talk a bit later about, they haven't just done it in socks. They've, they've done it into different textiles and things. Um, and that's where I think the, the exciting bit is about it. So it's a springboard for me. I think it's going to be, I think, I think we should have quite a good discussion as long as you remember to switch your mic
1: on. Yeah. mic is on. I'm good to yeah. go. Let's, Let's start talking about it because I think the first thing I'm not going to go in order of our show notes because that's uh, that's responsible and I'm (coughs) clearly off the deep end already. So so here's the thing. I want to go to the first place in which I thought about this. Um, I think the first thought I had in terms of application was uh, really it was um, aviation. Mm So. The thing for me is you're controlling rudder with your feet. And I guess this is applicable. And and shortly after my thought went to surface transportation as well, you're controlling things with your feet. And if these wearables can detect your movements and detect your intent before you even do it based on, like, I don't know, micro movements of your muscles in your feet, uh, it can then adjust the system to accommodate for what it thinks you're going to do. So, for example, let's say um, you're driving right let's use the surface transportation example because that's a lot more familiar to a lot more people. Let's say you're driving down the road and um, the the you you look ahead of you and you see a car stopped and so you need to take your foot off of the brakes and onto the gas. Now the car can understand when you take your foot off the brake. Or Sorry, off the gas, but it uh, it can't understand that you're moving over to the brake, And it's a confirmation then for the system that you are actually intending to break. And uh, it might actually break earlier if it detects that you're moving that way. And so I don't know, there's some like really small improvements that we can make. And really, when we're talking about something like surface transportation, milliseconds matter when it comes to reaction time. And so if you see a ball you know, coming down the way um, and there's a child in the street and you lift your foot off the gas and go over to the brake, if it can automatically brake before it even, before you even get to that pedal. uh, And let's say like, this is a hypothetical situation where there's no, the sensors on board in a high tech car are not picking up things in the environment that you are as a driver, right? That's kind of the scenario here. Um, So that's, that's kind of my first thought of where this application could go and i mean that's everyone wearing these socks while they drive is a little far-fetched but think about that type of application where maybe you know you have uh defense applications where they are maneuvering uh different vehicles and um you have something very similar going on Uh, barry what where do you want to go from here so i want to i I want to the sort of thing that hit me first
2: was actually around the training application, because um, I've done lots of things in the past where it's um, you you have to learn what it is that you're doing and, and repeat the action time and time again. So I used to do a lot of rifle shooting, but it was it's always very hard to coach somebody in rifle shooting when you you don't truly know. You you can coach people and tell them what to do and what sort of what you feel and hopefully they'll feel similar things, um, but you at least with something like this or just taking it's not again it's it's the springboard stuff where we don't just have them in socks you have like almost like throughout a uniform or throughout um whatever you're wearing to to do these sort of sports i mean good sports for to begin with so you can use it for that to make sure that you're um um you've got personal reference that you're doing the same thing and again and again so you if you you're lying in the prone position that you that you are in the same shape that you always are and, and things like that so you can get that confirmatory stuff so that was the first bit and then I sort of sprung onto a um, lot of spring body tonight um, in terms of body movement, because when you're, when you're doing sort of high performance athletics, which clearly I do a lot of um, it's about, you know, how far can you push your body before it's unsafe? Um, so if you're stretching, you may be doing lifting you're doing, and if you can, if you got by your measurements going on that um, through, cause it talks about machine learning and the use of um, AI, and, and things like that in terms of a platform, could it give you feedback on to actually, you know, with the, with the movements you're doing, you're going to strain a muscle or do, you know, do, do yourself some damage and give you earlier feedback than you, you know, normally you go and you, you can feel like, say you pulled a muscle or you've got an ache or something. If he could give you preemptive warning before that point. So you actually know, actually I was about to push myself too far and you've saved your, um, saved your muscles, you've saved whatever, then, um, then that could be really, really powerful. But then also the flip side of that is, is well, it could also show you when you haven't done enough, if you've got an ability to say you're stretching off or you're maybe again, like lifting, lifting something or, or doing some sort of endurance. If through the sensors, it knows that actually you could push yourself that little bit harder, you've got the capability to do so, then actually it could give you that positive feedback of actually, no, you, you can go a bit further. There is obviously problems then of when he get, when he gets that wrong and you do end up pulling a muscle. But you know there is obviously a lot of work to do in that area um, around that type of thing. Then the last yeah. bit um, that I'll steal before um, throwing it back towards you is kind of what you were saying around um, around how you use this in cars, how you use this in aviation. Similar could be said for simulation when you're using simulators to to do training and things like that. It could um, we could use you could actually use these in so you don't need. Um, maybe so all the pedals and stuff that you would in um, in, in a high-fidelity simulator could just have it. Just being able to do the movements and being able to detect the movements feed into um, a simulation, so you don't need to spend as much money on, say, a cockpit simulator and things like that. You can actually do more around um, a a more medium or low-fidelity simulator that way, because you because you basically you're recording the movements anyway. You can get the intent of what what they were trying to do and feed it into um, in, into that sort of thing. So that's my sort of piece around um training. Where would you like to take it next?
1: Well, well, I wanna I wanna comment on the sort of training aspect of body movement and endurance because I actually put this under, you know, another another part of our notes here in terms of personal fitness. And um, you know, I think this is it's one of those things where it can cross over in many different directions. And so the fact that we both came up with these applications without looking at each other's notes is actually really impressive. So I I actually wrote down, you know, improving um, form when doing things that involve feet for like weight training. Right. So if you're, you know, uh, if your feet could be further apart uh, or further together, like this is personal fitness. This isn't necessarily training for like infantry or anything like that. And so um, I just think that there's, there's potential applications there. There's uh, absolutely personalized recommendations based on, Um, The way that you're carrying yourself, these socks would be able to understand what pressure is being put on your body at that time and whether or not you are maintaining good form based on your foot placement and all that stuff. And so, yeah, I had a lot of the same points and I thought that was um, I thought that was funny that we both came up with that. Uh, And so I guess the next place that I want to go is kind of along the lines of when you said simulation Um, and for me big VR guy over here. I'm thinking virtual environments. They actually might. Um, so one constant issue with virtual environments is the processing power required to render these environments in a high enough fidelity or high fidelity. I shouldn't say high enough fidelity, but a high fidelity, uh, render of these environments, um, because you are looking through a device that, uh, doesn't know where you're going to look next. But if you had that tied into some wearables on your feet, um, that could sense when, you know, based on like micro muscle movements, when you were about to pick up your foot and move in a different direction, uh, it might be able to help the computer processing power render that a little bit better um, and assist with some of that latency that often contributes to things like motion sickness. And so that to me is a, a huge thing that could potentially be uh, improved, I guess, by this type of technology. And it links back to training, right? A lot of training is done in virtual environments through VR. And so when you have that sort of reduction in latency and less people experiencing this sort of motion sickness, you're going to be able to move more people into VR and present them with novel situations that they may or may not be able to train for in real life because they are dangerous or uh, unsafe or you know, any other adjective that you want to use about those. And so I think that's another really great application. Um, I'm going to pass it over to you because I feel like you have something to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the,
2: I mean, that certainly could help with the whole uncanny valley um, situation, couldn't it? Um, but also really with augmented reality, when you look at augmented reality applications, um, this is something to do with, you know, the anticipatory processing. Um, we might have just come up with the term there that might be, we, we should, copyright that or something um, anticipatory processing I like it. Um, but the idea that you know if you if you're being able to allow the AR to process quicker and know what's going on then you'll deliver a smoother um, smoother outcome so yeah absolutely I think I think that is a um, almost almost an inspired um, application of this um, and like I said that that tieover between that and training I think I think the application of this in training in terms of um, being you know good form good function, Absolutely, Um, but also we've got the um, that that rehabilitation side. Um, I mean, the one that sort of came to me was if you you know people who are um, looking to engage after uh, after significant injury, um, again going going for the whole whole um, application rather than having to have a physio there all the time. Can it give you the feedback? Because some people just want to go and do it on their own. Um, Can it give you that feedback to um, to play with that game? So. Yeah, I think there there is a lot there. Um, have you got any more sort anything more around the like, sort of healthcare application that uh, that excites you?
1: Yeah, we'll pull in a couple from the article here. Right, so you mentioned rehabilitation. Um, you could track the gait of somebody who's learning to walk again after an injury. Uh, socks could monitor uh, pressure on a diabetic person's foot uh, to prevent formation of ulcers. Uh, they also talk about some of the accuracy. Uh, with these 3D knits um, and how it could make them useful for applications like prosthetics where precision is essential uh, and being able to control those prosthetics. Um, a smart textile liner could measure the pressure a prosthetic limb places on the socket, uh, enabling a prosthesis to easily see how well the device fits. So, um, you know, with fitting and adjustment on these prosthetics, it could really help um but i also feel like you know th- this would help could potentially help with something like proprioception uh down the line if the prosthetic itself is understanding the intent based on where you're moving it then yeah it could definitely have some impact there the last thing i think here from the article uh that i'll bring up in terms of healthcare is sort of the um the, the this type of thinking around being able to apply it to this domain will really enhance injury prevention. It's weird to say it that way, but it will reduce injuries and it will enhance detection techniques to help evaluate some of this direct rehabilitation. So I think there's some really good healthcare applications, um, and you know, I, I it does really excite me in terms of the different domains. Like just in this, I guess, couple minutes that we've been talking we've already talked on healthcare we've talked on training we've talked on virtual environments surface transportation aviation defense there's so many things that we've already touched on based on this little sock this it's a sock it, it is and because
2: uh, i want to now bounce to somewhere else i want to look at um, say, um health and safety because you know one of the things that we talk about a lot is um you know health in you know but health in the workplace safety in the workplace and that type of thing could the is this something that could be applied to help you? Um, pati- I, I was thinking around hazardous environments, particularly where you know you put fences up to say you know uh, where you're not going to pass because a machine's in use or something like that. Could this actually help with that type of thing? So, if it recognises that you're about to step into an excluded area, that so, so some, for example, somebody might not have put the gate up properly or the 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 fence, but actually. It's recognised as a almost a geo area, but to a high level of precision. Um, could wearing this sock, the sock recognises it's because because the sensors involved it's going to pass through this geofenced area that should be a, a safety area. Um, but it could actually say then send an alert. I mean, I guess it could send that like, sort of electric shocks into the feet, but that's a different application. Um, but the but you know you, it could send send it to a, to to your watch or to or to your to your device. Um, to say you're about to cross cross the safety threshold, I think there is that sort of element. But also, if you're using, you know, if you're not wearing the um, the appropriate footwear, you know, if you can your socks sense that you're wearing the appropriate still still toe cap boots, um, or or that type of thing, so actually helping um, you with your with your PPE, uh, make sure that make sure that you're doing the right thing for the task that you're, you're that you're going to go and do. Um, I just think there is so much application there again it's it's springboard because they, they weren't talking about that in the actual um article itself it's about the um it's more about what we can do with it to take it forward. Do you think you you could wear them and or do you think it might get annoying to to wear
1: clothing that's telling you you're you not wearing the right footwear? Uh I don't know. It depends on ah, there it is. It depends on the uh sorry I'm so distracted by that now that I've lost my train of thought. I think really though it it really it does depend on the application and what the benefits are from wearing it all day, right? I can see a situation where if it, I don't know, saves my life multiple times a day because it senses I'm about to step on one of my son's Hot Wheels, uh, then, um, yeah, I wouldn't mind wearing these all day. Uh, I think if if I was working in a hazardous environment, I would definitely wear them. If Talk about PPE. This is like... You know, another piece of PPE that you would have to uh, wear because it's almost like a um, anticipatory. What did you say? Anticipatory sensor or something. So um, in a way, it's it's almost like a sixth sense that you're wearing, that you're putting on your feet, uh, that that sixth sense is then processed by uh, an artificial intelligent machine learning system that can tell what your intent is based on your proprioception based on your movement, uh, or or it can, it can tell more about your proprioception than you can, uh, is what I'm trying to say there. And, and that's quite remarkable. I think, um, you know, I I think there's, yeah, go ahead. I, I guess it, there is that bit as well
2: is if you're, if you can put it on your feet and make a, make a sock out of it, you can make a love out of it. Yeah. Therefore, you know, stop you putting your hand into things that you shouldn't be putting your hands into. Um,
1: I think there's. Yeah, Barry, there's we're talking a about socks here.
2: <laughs> I know, but but the yeah, I think the, it is one of these things. It's it's like what we've done on other episodes when we sat there and go and actually uh, we we're not entirely sure whether this is um this is we could talk about this for a significant period of time. But actually, when you start looking at the application of what you can play with just something as simple as this, I think it's um I think it's quite cool. I
1: never thought I'd see socks as cool as this. Um, these these are the socks that you want in your Christmas stocking, right, as a, as a holiday well, yeah, gift. I see, see if you did that. The stocking inside the stocking. <laughs> there well,
2: you go. Are, yeah. the, the bit that we haven't covered is, so we, we're assuming here that they all work right. What else when they go wrong and you start getting um, duff data? Because the way, obviously, it works, they, they sort of highlight it's, it's a mesh and all that sort of stuff. If we are sort of going to start using them in, you know, as, as we've because we've now basically going to sell them into the uh, safety critical industries, um, as 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 a clear PPE piece of PPE. What happens if that sort of stuff goes wrong and it starts giving you cues that um, that are wrong? Or even if it's just you know you're a, you're an athlete and it starts pulling out weird data. I think there's how do you how do you bring out the uh, or how do you warn the fact that it's 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 not great? I guess it would have to be through the device, wouldn't it? Um, there's no other way of, of really doing it. You certainly don't want to, get, to give you electric
1: shocks or buzzes when it's um, when it's not working properly yeah be, I want I want to talk you're right what happens when it gets when it gets it wrong but I do want to talk briefly about sort of the accuracy uh, because they do comment on this right They say that once a model was trained um, and and they do training on the model, for each individual wearer so that is kind of one limitation right now it's still in its infancy and it's got to be tailored towards the individual but once it is trained it could classify the user's activity on uh, on the smart mat and that's another thing that we're talking about here is it has to be in conjunction with this mat there's a there's a separate mat um which you could build into certain interfaces right like some of the things that we've talked about uh, just taking a quick aside here, but you could build it into things like pedals or you could build it into things like uh, a space around a machine that you don't want to uh, sort of interact with. You could also build it into like weightlifting mats, right? So I'm, I'm bringing it back to some of the topics that we've talked about because mm-hmm. that's an important contextual thing that I don't think we mentioned. So there is a mat. Um, but once the model was trained, it could classify the user's activity on the smart mat. So whether they're walking, running, doing pushups, et cetera, with 99.6% accuracy uh, and could recognize uh, seven different yoga poses with 97.7% accuracy. And so thinking about the data that goes into this, it's just feet and it's just a mat that is mm-hmm. looking at this. And so when, when I look at... What goes wrong? That is a 04 percent for those first four things walking, running, doing push ups, and then the yoga poses is like one point three percent. It's a low percentage. Yes, we do have to figure out what happens when it goes wrong and what the critical um <laughs> what the steps are to to fix those issues in a like mission critical environment, but that high level of accuracy is is really. Very is really striking. Yeah, it's striking mm-hmm. to me. Like that is a high level of accuracy. And we are just talking about this from the perspective of this small ecosystem, the sock and the mat. When you compare or sorry, when you combine that with other pieces of technology that could potentially understand a little bit more about what's going on in an environment such as, I don't know, external cameras that are monitoring a situation also using machine learning to uh understand user intent uh when you pair it with other things like i don't know even something as simple as a smartwatch that is taking things like uh heart rate monitoring um albeit you know less accurate than something else when they're doing something like heart rate monitoring activity tracking when you pair it you get a much uh more clear picture and so i think we we're talking about this in a vacuum but there's when you start to combine it with other pieces of technology and other solutions, you really get some good coverage and some good applications. I don't think we've even broken the surface on yet.
2: No, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I think there is this whole idea. Um, and they do say that um, they were, in the article that they've been exploring more collaborative applications. So in collaboration with a sound designer and a contemporary dancer, they developed the smart textile carpet that drives musical notes and soundscapes based on the dancer steps to explore the bi bi-directional relationship between music and choreography. So really what that's doing there is taking uh, movement and pairing it with another input-output, so in this case, um, sound and that type of thing. But just the fact that you're interacting with your environment um, in a different way um, is just fascinating. Um, and you can sort of see with other applications, you could take what, as you quite rightly say, is, in theory quite a quite a simple technology although quite complex to 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 um, to build and and make sure it works but it is still simple nonetheless um of how we can uh we can how, how we can use this and, and make our environments more interactive and your point is is a really good one in the fact that this on its own possibly has limited value but combining with other we're basically with the rich data sets that we've got nowadays because we do have cameras out there we do, we're all wear, wearing um, smartphones watches um all that sort of stuff which kind of leads me to sort of one of my last points here is there is a lot of data there and as with a lot of these uh, papers that we talk about it's still in, in its infancy etc etc et cetera et cetera but where and how is all this data processed um and is there an opportunity there? for um so how, how you design all this neat will need to take into account that all this data is going to be there and it needs to be time synchronized and, and all that sort of good stuff but is there a, an aspect here where um what could people learn about you um if they were to steal this data um because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people talking at the moment around or have been talking around you know you a lot of people wearing Fitbits and heart rate monitors and all that sort of stuff and putting all that, all that data out into the, into the cloud in into the, um, in, into cl- onto cloud servers, which is all well and good. But then all the, all these companies are then using that data anonymized granted, but, it, um, they're then able to use all them vast data sets in order to make computational leaps. Um, and so again, what would, where would this data be stored? How would it be used? Um, and how would people see with, with data privacy could could something? What you know? What's the unintended consequence? Um, I don't think that's necessary. It's not a blocker in any way, but I do think it
1: is something that we probably need to think about. Yeah, I agree, and I think, um, the yeah, that introduces a whole separate cybersecurity threat to this type of technology, especially when when you're accessing sort of this this machine learning AI database that is predictive in nature too. Um, if it's predicting what you'll do next based on your movements that can totally, you know, play into, I don't know, like I'm thinking of a futuristic world where you're wearing these smart shoes (laughs) that need no mat. It's kind of all built into one system. You're looking around and you, you go to turn and there's an advertisement that's tailored to you because there's some system that's listening to your, you know, it's almost like the targeted ads on your phone, but now it's everywhere in the environment on these screens because it knows you are looking Uh, and that's kind of this scary future that I think a lot of marketers want Um, but mm, yeah Uh, (laughs) you know I will say uh, sort of my last point here is kind of um, looking at the future of research on this you know they do mention uh, the the authors of this paper do mention that they want to conduct tests on smart shoes outside of this lab environment, right? To see how other conditions like temperature, humidity, impact the accuracy of the sensors. Beyond that, I'm really excited to see where these researchers think that there's application outside of the domains that they've already mentioned, outside of the domains that we've mentioned. Somebody listening somewhere is going, is yelling at us saying, you didn't bring up this domain and it would be totally cool in this domain. I know somebody out there is yelling at us right now. And I want to hear from you. Like, where is that domain? Like, tell us. That's It's super exciting to me. Um, and it's just some, you know, simple oversight on our part. That's just, I wish, uh, I wish we knew. Um, and so like the future of this is exciting and yes, there's some things that we got to figure out, but I don't know. You've turned me around on smart socks, Barry. Are there any, <laughs> are there any other points that you want to make about this article before we uh, move on? Yeah, if they've got some going spare that they want uh, want testing, then then just send them over. I'm more than happy to do that. Same here. Well, thank you to our patrons this week uh, for selecting our topic. And thank you to our friends over at MIT News for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post the links to the original articles uh, on our weekly roundups on our blog. You can also join us on Discord for more discussion on these stories and more. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to see what's going on in the human factors community right after this.
0: Human Factors Cast brings you the best in human factors news, interviews, conference coverage and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast, where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you. And remember, it depends.
1: Yes, huge thank you as always to our patrons. We especially want to thank our honorary Human Factors cast staff patron, Michelle Tripp. Patrons like you, keep the show running, keep the lab running. And uh, speaking of the lab, we have been hard at work on Human Factors Minute. It's our supporter-only podcast where we do a bunch of research on a section of Human Factors, UX, HCI, break it down in theoretically, uh, a minute or less. Uh, But looking at some stats, you're actually getting a little bit more than a minute on average. So we're hard at work over here. Barry, uh, last time we checked in on Human Factors Minute, I think we're at like 121 episodes. You want to take a guess as to how many episodes we have now?
2: Well, it's got to be more than that. So,
1: I don't know. Over 130? Over 130 is a great number. In fact... We talked about this eight weeks on the show. Uh, sorry, 10 weeks on the show. Uh, we do the we do the check-in of the Patreon stats every 10 yeah. weeks, which is all interesting. Oh, so oh, yeah. I, I didn't get that. I, I should have realized my pattern matching isn't very good. So <laughs> if you think about it, right, we should be at 131, right? 10 more weeks. No, we're at 136 because we did a whole bunch of episodes for Pride that we released out publicly. So we're at 136 episodes with a total runtime of two hours, 49 minutes, and Uh, 10 seconds. So really exciting. Um, And then we also have an average length of one minute and 15 seconds. Like I said, you're getting a little bit more. Longest episode and shortest episode really haven't changed much. We still have the Human Factors and Ergonomics Society technical group of surface transportation uh, and the the HFE tag system safety, health hazard survivability. Three of them at 159. We're trying really hard to come in under that two minutes. So that way we can (laughs) say at least the leading number is one minute. Uh, And then our shortest one (laughs) was on uh, the aging technical group at 40 seconds. So, you know, I'm I human factors minute is something that I'm incredibly proud of. Uh, It it is a passion project for not only me, but so many people in our human factors cast digital media lab. So they've authored many of the scripts, Uh, even even though Barry, Blake, myself, read them. They've authored many of them. And yes, this is still an exclusive place where you can hear that Blake content. We're still working on that. We're still working that, I promise. Uh, but, <laughs> sorry, it has to be behind a paywall, but uh, yeah, anyway. Um, let's get into this next part of the show we like to call It Came From It Came From That's right, It Came From. This is the part of the show where we search all over the internet to bring you topics that the community, that could be anybody, as, as long as it's uh. Talking about human factors, that's it's it's, uh, it's good. If you find this stuff useful, give us a like wherever you're watching or listening to help other people find this content. Algorithms, yada yada. Anyway, we got three tonight. Uh, this one, this first one's by Regina Squirrel on the UX research subreddit. Uh, they write, "Red flag in the job description. Wouldn't want to work for a boss like that." They then submit an image with a, a portion of this job description circled. They, the, the part of the that circled is the candidate must have a minimum of five years cumulative experience performing research duties. Any gaps in between projects or assignments do not count towards the five years. Barry, do you think this is a red flag? Yes, it is. But
2: I, I've got no problem with people posting adverts like that because of exactly what it's done. It's, it's really highlighted to me. I don't want to go and work there. Um, if you're being that specific, they must have a reason for saying that, um, for themselves. Um, and for whatever reason they're bringing it up, I think it it works because, um, you know, as has been highlighted already, you know, it, it, people think it's a red flag. They're, they're already sitting there going, well, actually I don't want to apply for that because it doesn't sound for what it is that I want to do. Um, and it might be, it might be completely wrong. You know, there might be amazing company to work for and all that sort of stuff, but they, they must have a reason in their heads about why they've sort of they've come up with that and so I think it's great because I think it gives you good warning of what it is you're going into you cannot go into that job interview if you apply for it you cannot go into that job interview and not think that they might be potentially difficult to work with is
1: what I get from that what do you think Nick? look I think so so first first comment I'll make is that there were a lot of people in the comment section of this Reddit post pointing out other things that were bigger red flags than this, like the six to 12 plus months uh, is the duration with high possibility of extension. That means six months. That means uh, they're they're not going to keep you. But um, to me, this type of thing means that they've ran into an experience where and, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in another it came from. But they've ran into somebody who didn't quite meet their expectations for what they wanted uh, within this role. I would imagine it was somebody who came forth and said, you know, I've worked as a researcher for or a human factors practitioner for X amount of years. But then I switched over and did this other thing and then I switched back and they considered it five years of research or five years of experience. And they're saying it doesn't count because they've ran into that situation. And to me that screams that they don't know exactly how to articulate the type of person that they're looking for, because this just, this seems so sloppy to ask it for it this way. It's like, um, and to lead with that, you know, to, to say you, you need five years of cumulative experience. Like, I think that's pretty well understood. And you just had a bad experience with somebody. I don't know. I feel, I feel like um, this also could have not been written by, the people who are hiring, this could have been written by a recruiter, this could have been written by uh, HR, this could have been written by any given person in this company, depending on how big we don't really have that additional context. But um, to me, it it, it screams of, uh, we've had a bad experience, and we're trying to control for it by putting more words in our job description.
2: Yeah, I think, I think quite possible. I mean, the rest of the spec, actually, is once you get down to the scope of what it's meant to do. Actually, that's quite well detailed, I think. Yeah. Um, Give you a really good insight into what they want. So they clearly do know what they want. And like I say, they've just, um, for whatever reason, they're, um, they're sort of highlighting right up at the top, um, that they don't want this. So I think if, if people are scared off by that, then it automatically gives you that idea of, well, actually don't apply. Yep. Um, I
1: feel you. All right, let's get into this next one. Uh, this one's by Caz18Cash on the user experience subreddit. They say, interview question. Which part of UX are you bad at? This caught me off guard. Want to know how you would uh, see it handled when you're interviewing someone for a mid-career to senior role. Um, so I, I just thought this was a great springboard. Um, Barry, what part of UX or human factors are you bad at? Well, I'm not bad at anything, Nick. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm possibly
2: not very good at admitting what I'm bad at. I don't, there's, um, it's not necessarily I'm bad at things. I think there's things I'm less experienced at. Um, so, um, human safety analysis, things like that. Um, human reliability analysis is stuff that I haven't done as much as much on. I think there's elements of, um, domains I haven't done, um, that much, ex- that much experience in. So, um, having done some stuff that I was doing this week, I realized that there's certain sectors that I was like, actually, we could be applying human factors to, but I just have never done it. So nervousness about, um, pushing that, that sort of stuff. But I think this is one of the things I do like about the human factors world is kind of the principles stay the same. Um, trends come and go the there are flavors of the month There's there's different bits, but actually if you've got core principles at heart, generally you'll get yourself by, um at most things um there must be something i am really bad at um i might have to come back i might might blurt it out later on halfway through it's a tough one um because clearly i'm I'm not brilliant at
1: everything um did this catch you off too right
2: like (laughs) i I think it has i think there's like i said there there are bits i've bits i'm not very good at that's because i'm not bad at them it's just because i've not done them um
1: I'm gonna have to think. Well, what about yeah. you, Nick? What, what What are you terrible at? Well, I okay. They said bad, not terrible. So look, like <laughs> I, I i also I I also I picked this question and I said, oh, that's a great question. I don't know how to answer, but it's a great question, uh and I also don't know how to answer because yes, being able to identify our own flaws is a it's a skill. Um, and so if I had to go with something, it'd be identifying my own flaws. But seriously, I think. Um, The thing that I struggle with a lot of times is switching domains. And I know you kind of mentioned it, but uh, being able to think or, or not even think, but but to understand even at a base level, what's going on in a particular domain that's complex. So like when I shifted to defense after being in electrical for a while, I had a really hard time understanding everything about. Military structure, and that's very complex when you think about the relationships between people. And so there were some things that I could learn, but then there were things that I needed to learn through experience Mm -hmm. uh, and actually talking to people. And that's actually one of my most enjoyed parts of the job is talking to people and understanding exactly what they're doing. And so I I think my weakness is a strength, but in real in reality, it takes me a long time to truly understand what's going on. I like recently made the shift to supply chain logistics, and I just now feel like nine months in that I'm starting to kind of understand it. Um, and there's there's plenty of materials out there that you can read and try to understand, but until you really See the whole thing in action. That to me is kind of my weakness, and so. But yeah, you're right. There are other transferable skills that go from domain to domain. I know how to talk to users. I know how to set up research. I know how to do those things. But understanding the domain is is a little bit of a challenge for me. It's just like switching gears and and you know starting from scratch to go in another direction. It feels like for me. Uh, have you thought about it anymore? Um, do you have anything yeah, else? Um, picking my battles
2: can be a okay. struggle. So. It's the ones where you, know, you want to you you see things going wrong and you want to solve everything. Um I've got no problem with um you know prioritizing my work, you know, prioritizing my battles. I know which ones are the important ones to fight, but I, I still want to solve all of them. And sometimes I can struggle to step back and say, actually, no, leave. We we need to go and do something else. Stop stop trying to solve them ones. Um and I guess the other one is that as you sort of had it, when you go into a new role or something like that, I do suffer from imposter syndrome. Massively. Um, and if, so the you know if you go into a new domain and I've sort of had it um, fairly recently with a new role I I sort of picked up and I've gone into a brand new domain and a new perspective I think is a good way of describing it. And I I did start off going well what what happens if I mess this up? What I can't do this job that this is this is mad. Why do they think I can do this job? Um, and then within a couple of weeks you're like yeah of course I can do this. Um, what am I worried about? Um, and then people come and ask you questions and, you're, you know, it's so that there's, there's sort of probably two things that they're not, they're not particularly UXy things. I don't think, um, they are just general sort of management, sort of you know, managing yourself type stuff, but they're, they're two things that trip, that can trip me up quite a lot. Yeah. There we go. Michael.
1: Oh, you saved it. All right. Last one up here. It's from the UX research subreddit. This is by Chirata and they write. How often do you find it difficult to recruit candidates for interviews? So this is actually a senior question. Um, that's really all they wrote uh, or or really uh, what actually happened is their post got deleted and we couldn't get the raw text but <laughs> but I thought the the prompt enough the prompt was enough of a good question to ask because this is a more senior question uh, from you know like, mid-level management to management perspective of actually hiring candidates that I think is really important to touch on because we do know that some of you listen to the show and we don't nearly get enough of, uh, we don't get nearly enough of these types of questions. So Barry, what generally is the market like for you, especially from the UK perspective? I could talk a little bit about the US, but what's it like? From the UK
2: perspective, it's interesting. It's certainly, um, there's a lot of roles out there at the moment. There are um, definitely positions available. And, but it's interesting because some of them are just open. If you go and talk to people, then uh, people can make spaces. I mean, we have perpetual uh, positions open all the time because there's so few people, I think, coming into the marketplace um, from, you know, get, getting their masters or, you know, getting their qualifications and stuff. Comparatively few people that I, uh, you, you kind of want to find the right person. So we, given that I run a small company, we constantly try, you know, we'll we'll take our time to, to try and find the right sort of people. The thing that I struggle with as well alongside this is um, there's a big drive at the moment and I completely get it about putting um, uh, salary numbers onto roles, um, which you should absolutely do. But then I do suffer myself from saying, I just want to meet people because I actually you might see somebody who's either, you know, brand new shiny graduate um, who you can see massive amounts of potential for, but you might also have somebody who is either want to do flexible working or retiring or, you know, or coming close to retirement to the one more job and, and all this sort of stuff. And all of these people that bring different values and you, I'm, I'm quite, I quite like to recruit on um, what's going to build my team. What's going to build, what is going to bring some nuance to the team that maybe I did, you know, we don't have. And, um, but that's because we're a small team. If you're a larger team, um then sometimes it can be it's well one one way it's easy to recruit if you've got the um the almost that production line type approach. Um so yeah, so I think there is it is difficult to recruit only because there isn't enough people in the marketplace at the moment. Um and also certainly personally we're trying to find right people, but even on bigger projects, it's you you always see the phrases coming up, uh, must have six, 12 months experience and things like that. And there just isn't enough people out there with that right sort of experience. But that's in the UK.
1: What's it like in the uh, in the US, Nick? Exactly go. the same. I will tell you, it's, it's so strange because you go and look at the market and there's this abundance of positions available. It's definitely a worker's market right now. And I, I know some companies are kind of shutting that down and um, doing some hiring freezes. But generally, there's an abundance of positions available because I think right now we're starting to understand the importance of us in our role. And Mm. then uh, there's maybe not so many people available for those roles. And what, what the trend that I'm noticing is that what that means is that uh, a lot of companies are promoting from within um, maybe people who are or are not ready for those more advanced roles. uh, And because of that, they um, jump up in title. And so, when you are requesting a, a position of a certain title, you might get candidates that in your head don't necessarily meet the expectations of somebody at that title. And I find that that is one real big challenge right now is because of this sort of I, I, early promotion in a, in a lot of the workforce, you kind of have to reset your expectations for what a senior in a role is or what a what a mid-level role is um or even what a management role is and so there's this like weird adjustment of expectations right now and because of that uh yes it's very difficult because even when you find people to apply for that position and you talk to them it's like okay this is not matching the like profile that I had and then you run into issues like in that first question where they had to describe very distinctly what that experience was like um Five years, uh you know, cumulative, not no gaps or mm. um, so, so you run into weird situations like that where you have those expectations aren't being met. um Or, you know, those expectations, I should say, on the hiring part isn't adjusted to meet the expectations of what the market looks like. It's yeah. a very weird market right now. It's weird. It is. And, and- I don't know.
2: We, we we're trying to find some so we got we're actually going to be putting out um start, literally start recruitment drive in i think in the next couple, next month or so um because we're going to do a two stage um or two bursts of recruitment over, over the next um, 12 to 18 months and um one of them has got it's almost a bit like that earlier um they where it has a language application um that so we have we've got a similar thing where actually i want a human factors practitioner of any sort of standard, to be honest, as long as, as long as they, they fit the team, but we want them to speak Welsh, um, because of, um, because of where we're at in our geography and, and and this, that and the other. And there are funny enough, there's not that many human factors practitioners out there in the first place to find one that also speaks Welsh, um, is going to prove incredibly difficult. So yeah, there's, there's, it's interesting. The more, the more precise you have, you end up being on your, um, uh, your job advert the less
1: chance you've got you've got of filling it so mm-hmm. just because of the way just because the way the market is at the moment. It's a careful balance on the on the more senior side to write up those those job descriptions. All right. Well why don't we go ahead and get into one more thing. We don't need an introduction for this. Barry, what's your one more thing this week? Well I've started a new sport. Um I, I started a couple of weeks
2: ago but I've started to do archery. Um it's something I did um years ago but then um, past couple of weeks, I've sort of got back into it, got, got into a bit beginner's course and things like that. I've currently got a very aching shoulder because I've, I've, I was doing it last night and it was good fun. Um, but it's really not, it's what I found about it is it's a really good way because you have to focus on what you're doing, you have to sort of clear your mind, um, to be able to focus on, you know, put, put, basically putting arrows down the range, um, and things like that. And I'm, I'm just thoroughly enjoying it at the moment, pe- picking up some new skills and actually being, it's a very, I guess, a physical thing to do, but without, you know, out anything like running and and things like that that make you exert yourself.
1: Um, so it's quite a, a strength, but a bit of a stamina thing. And yeah, I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah, you got tired of hitting bullseyes on the podcast, so you you needed to hit bullseyes in real life, right? Something like that. Yeah. All right. Well, you did uh, <laughs> for for me, my one more thing this week is. Uh, new internet. I don't know if you've all been noticing um but uh Barry how's my audio quality been tonight? You've been you've been mostly okay. I think mostly I think, okay. Mostly okay except for the way you messed yourself up by leaving yourself on mute. Yeah, so that's that's really the only issue and <laughs> color color me surprised because this is um I'm not going to mention the company but there's a company that that uh gives you a a, a service that is um They give you basically a router that connects to mobile internet. I'm on 5G right now, having a podcast with you streaming everywhere. We've been taxing this system. I unplugged my other internet, um, didn't stop paying for it yet. I'm testing this still. And uh, the, the real test is if I can podcast on this. Color me surprised because I am getting better speeds on 5G through this thing. Because we're like less than a mile from a tower, it's like right there. And like, I don't know, it's killer speeds, more than we're getting on our wired line. Um, there's just a couple quirks with it that make it harder for uh, like things like VoIP, which Voice Over Internet Protocol for, you know, uh, a lot of what I do for my job is Happens meet to with people. That? Um, and so it's like it's almost there, and I'm very excited about it. And it's so good, it's just that little bit that's uh holding me back, and it's so cheap too. Anyway, uh, that's that's my one more thing this week. Um, yeah, all right, that's it for today, everyone. If you like this episode, enjoy some of the discussion about socks. We encourage you to go listen to. Uh, wearables yeah there you go uh try try listening to episode 201 wrist mounted -mounted wearables for human computer interaction see what Meta's doing over there comment wherever you're listening with what you think of the story this week you enjoy me messing it up i don't know i did for more in-depth discussion join us on our discord community uh visit our official website sign up for our newsletter stay up to date with all the latest human factors news if you like what you hear you want to support the show there's three ways you can do that right now one leave us a five-star review just stop what you're doing go leave us a review make it good All that stuff. Tell your friends about us. That is the second way that you can do it. Word of mouth really helps us grow. Say, hey, this Nick guy is, like, messing up all over the place. It's like going to NASCAR for crashes. You should check it out. Uh, (laughs) Or three, if you are financially able and can look past my faults maybe support us on patreon you get access to human factors minute as always links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode mr barry kirby thank you for being on the show today and carrying me once again where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about where they can put their socks
2: if you want to come talk about socks you can find me on twitter and across social media at basm okay um or if you want to hear some of the interviews we've been doing over on 1202 the human factors podcast then find it at
1: 1202podcast.com as for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on Discord and across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it depends.
2: Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft. These are all examples of highly technical systems and organizations. And all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202 The Human Factors Podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory. Because it's more than just common sense.